The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, there seems to be a discernible shift in how China is responding to international critics in Africa. And we've seen it on display both in February and again in March, which gives me some indication that there's actually some strategy behind this. Now, this is a topic that's near and dear to you because you study the optics of the Chinese in Africa, particularly related to media. Talk to us a little bit about what you also perceive as to be how China responds to its international critics. This is very interesting for me. So, you know, as, as we've pointed out for years, there is this tendency when there's criticism of either the Chinese government or of a Chinese company for those actors to essentially go into a defensive crouch. So, you know, for years it was standard procedure where anytime there's kind of criticism in the Western or African press, then it's impossible to get a comment from, you know, from any Chinese official. It's just like they just go silent. Now there seems to be a, a different media strategy and they are a lot more aggressive and they are a lot more combative in kind of taking on and actually fighting with or, you know, kind of or refuting kind of points of criticism in the media. And one of the people who's been particularly the spearhead of that is the newish Chinese ambassador to South Africa, Lin Songtian. So Lin Songtian is a very interesting character because he has been around for a very long time. He's not just any normal ambassador. He's actually got an enormous amount of experience, which really makes sense given that South Africa in so many ways is China's most important partner in Africa, given the fact that it has more trade with South Africa than anywhere else. It's the largest Chinese population in Africa. Economically, it's just vitally important for the Chinese. So it makes sense that they put one of their more senior diplomats there. So I think it's important for our discussion today to get to know Lin Songtian a little bit better, because as, as you said, Kobus, he is in fact the, the tip of the spear now. And he's been holding live TV press conferences in Johannesburg in front of the South African and the international media. And I cannot emphasize how unusual that is. We would not be surprised at all if an American ambassador, a French ambassador, a UK ambassador did live press conferences. Typically, these countries' uh, diplomats are much more accessible to the media. The Chinese have never been accessible to the media like this. And Lin Songtian, as far as I know, is one of the first that I've seen in 30 years of studying China who is doing unscripted media appearances like this. It is remarkable. So let's take a look to get to know Lin Songtian a little bit. CGTN, which is China Global Television News, it's the former CCTV, they uh, last year did a profile of Lin Songtian, just a little introduction, and let's take a listen. This is kind of the official party view of Lin Songtian and a little bit about his background. It was in 1999 that the fate of Lin Songtian became linked to that of Africa. Since then, he has served successively as counselor at the Chinese embassy in Zambia and ambassador to Liberia and Malawi. In 2005, shortly after taking office as ambassador to Liberia, 
He was invited by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to give a speech on China relations and China-Africa cooperation in Liberia. After listening to his speech, Liberian MPs signed a motion to adhere to the One China policy. We've seen Lin Songtian a lot in the media now, again, as we talked about these two media appearances that happened in February and March, the first one criticizing Le Monde, the French newspaper, for its reporting on the alleged bugging by the Chinese of the African Union headquarters. And then again, following U.S. Secretary of State, or should I say former U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's comments, the warning Africans about taking on too much Chinese debt and becoming too close with the Chinese. Let's take a look at the press conference that he held, again, with the South African media, live, broadcast on SABC TV, remarkable in so many different ways. Here is how Lin Songtian, the Chinese ambassador to Pretoria, responded to Rex Tillerson's comments and his warnings. After taking office for over a year, His Excellency, Mr. Rex Tillerson, U.S. Secretary of State, has finally put his mind on Africa. Unfortunately, he paid his maiden trip to this continent recently. But unfortunately, and regrettably, His Excellency came to Africa not with an aim to help African countries and people to realize durable peace and sustainable development. Instead, His Excellency came here to warn, to warn and teach African country and people to be alert of China's growing influence through investment and adjusting to Africa, smearing China, China's investment and trade cooperation with African countries. Kobus, it almost felt like Ambassador Lin is goading Rex Tillerson. I mean, he started that soundbite saying, oh, after almost a year, almost in a sarcastic way, you know, you finally made it to Africa. Now, you know he must be laughing his butt off right now <laughs> that Rex Tillerson is sitting at home watching television after Donald Trump fired him. But it is just, again, this is a new face of Chinese diplomacy and media strategy that I have never seen before. And to see Ambassador Lin to be the face of it is so interesting because they're doing it in English, too, which is yet another distinctive feature that they've never really done that much up until now. Yes. Before I answer further, just a quick disclaimer. One is that I've met Lin Suntian once, but I don't know him personally. And B, Sire does occasionally do, you know, kind of shared events with the Chinese embassy in South Africa, including the ambassador. So when I'm speaking here, I'm speaking as Kubis van Staden individual. I'm not speaking for Sire at all. I just need to make that clear. So, you know, he is a very charismatic person. Like, you know, kind of, he is like talky, friendly, enthusiastic, and he's very kind of camera friendly. And so, you know, I'm trying to work out in my mind whether this represents a sea change in Chinese international communication generally, or whether they just happen to have someone, you know, in the job at the moment who is so good on camera that they decided they can, it's easier for them, they they have the kind of maneuverability for him to respond in a more kind of off the cuff, you know, kind of spontaneous way rather than the kind of scripted way that they usually had. What do you think? 
I think there's something different because it's not just Ambassador Lin, although he is by far the most, as you said, charismatic, accessible, and voluble in the Chinese response. But we saw Wang Yi, the Chinese foreign minister, respond. We've seen also all of China's media apparatus kind of be turned on these issues. And I think in part that is to kind of denounce their critics and to aggressively respond to their critics. But I think there might be something else going on here. China is very savvy in the ways of social media now and very savvy in the ways of search engines. I think that in the case of the Le Monde story, it was a, an active effort to suppress the visibility of the Le Monde story by flooding the zone with all sorts of news coverage on the Chinese response. You look for the African Union story now on Google, for example, and you don't find it. You find only the Chinese response. And it came from so many different quarters. It came from Beijing. It came from Pretoria and Johannesburg. And it came from all sorts of diplomats up and down the continent and around the world. That, too, was something that's very interesting. And again, we can't emphasize how conservative Chinese diplomatic responses have been up to this point. Under the Hu Jintao administration, China's former president, it was very, very much a bide-your-time foreign policy. This was speak softly, kind of don't engage people too much, don't respond too much, make sure you don't anger anybody because we want to keep stability and we want to preserve China's kind of place in the world right now. We don't feel like we're a strong country. And what we're seeing today is really, to me, the reflection of Xi Jinping's worldview, which is a much more robust worldview, a much more aggressive worldview, that China will not be criticized without consequence. And the days that China was criticized and people did not respond are over, I think. And the world, and the United States in particular, has to get used to this. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know, in terms of the search engine point, that's exactly a point I made at a conference recently in Germany, that just as a kind of a form of media management, their kind of crisis response strategy has been very effective. Like both in the Tillerson case and in the Le Monde case, like they both like essentially just like buried Google, you know, kind of under a lot of different stories, all essentially saying the same thing. And they, they managed to leverage the kind of influence that Chinese state media has in Africa in, in a very creative way, in the sense that they would they would put out these statements or the, these kind of op-ed articles attacking these allegations, and then they would be picked up and republished by a whole bunch of African publications that have, uh, you know, kind of, you know, that, that publish a lot of Xinhua and, and other kind of state content anyway. So you have the same message coming from the African press and from the international press and from the Chinese press. And in the case of the Le Monde African Union bugging situation, that was then exacerbated by the fact that Le Monde did no follow-up work. You know, they did the one article and that was it. So it was one article essentially buried under 20 fathoms of response. And so it ended up being a very effective strategy. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at Witt's China Africa or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. So let's kind of take this back into history a little bit, back to the, the Banyong Conference in, I think that was Malaysia, 1960s sometime. And that was the, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the 1955 Bandung Conference. F 1915 Banyong, okay, there you're, you're helping me with my history here. Yeah, 1955 in Indonesia. Indonesia, there we go. Okay, 
And China really had a line at that time that it wanted to really become the voice of, at that time, what they called the third world. And it was this idea that China is the largest country in the developing world. And it really saw itself as an advocate for, for countries not necessarily aligned with the United States and the Soviet Union at the time. And I think in some ways, this new ambitious or much more aggressive, if you will, approach to media and to the way that the Chinese are responding reflects that desire to reassume that mantle in some ways. So when Lin Songtian, the ambassador to South Africa, let me just read a quote from what his comments were regarding Secretary Tillerson. And I want you to put it in the context of speaking on behalf of African countries or others who may not necessarily agree with U.S. policy, but don't have the confidence or the strength to stand up for it. And is China using its position as now the world's second largest economy and really a rival to the United States in so many different ways to speak on their behalf? So here's the quote. The American smearing of China in Africa has obviously chosen a wrong place, wrong topic, and a wrong target. That is why the Africans have stepped up to tell His Excellency Rex Tillerson what he is talking about China is wrong and not true. Sorry to say that is quite self-embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, Gomez. No. That is, those are not diplomatic words. I mean, that is like, <laughs> if you, you know, you want to dance, let's dance. And to see, again, a representative of a developing country kind of stand up to the United States to do that is something that we haven't seen in a long time. And do you think that the Chinese are also trying to kind of retake their place as that spokesperson for developing countries? Or do you think that China in this particular case is simply speaking on its own behalf for its own interests? I think it's kind of both at the same time. China is, has always maintained itself in this position as, in the first place, as a developing country. I mean, when you speak with Chinese officials, they always refer to China as a developing country. And then also as a kind of a leader among developing countries, as a kind of a older brother kind of of developing countries. So, so that has been, that has been a, a consistent kind of narrative, you know, since the 20th century. And then at the same time, I think they're also positioning China as this kind of counterweight or counterpole to the United States. I think that is increasingly, you know, kind of part of the kind of implication. And the fact that they are so, so kind of much more kind of strong and or assertive, you know, and critical and even kind of making fun of American officials. I mean, that is really interesting. It's really new. It's fabulously yeah. entertaining to watch, it's, you know, it's, it's I mean, really it's entertaining amazing. to watch. It is definitely entertaining to watch. I get the impression that Americans and Europeans who have been accustomed for centuries, really, to having the global stage to themselves are not accustomed to a, a China that is this aggressive. I think this is going to take a lot of getting used to in places like Washington, London and Paris, yeah. who may not be familiar with people like Lin Songtian and his ability to convene an audience. I mean, when you look at the live, they did some cutaways on SABC when he was doing his press conferences. There were a lot of journalists there and people were yeah. interested in what he had to say. And again, there, I don't think any Western journalists were there. And that's something that's also interesting is that he is speaking to people who the West doesn't necessarily pay attention to. Um, yeah. Reuters and AP did not pick up on, were not at least as far as I could see in my coverage and reading of the coverage, did not pick up on that press conference per se. They picked up on the comments, but they didn't necessarily focus on the press conference. And I think there's an opportunity here for the Chinese to speak around the Western media directly to African media in this particular case, where African media have a much greater interest in what Ambassador Lin has to say than what, say, AP, Reuters, France 24, and some of the Western media who aren't paying attention to Ambassador Lin the same way. 
And I think he and, you know, his colleagues also do this kind of speaking because, as you said, there's more, you know, several kind of senior officials do now. They have access to a narrative that that the West doesn't have access to, which is a narrative of shared colonial exploitation or shared, you know, colonial and neocolonial exploitation. And China plays that tune a lot. You know, it's a dominant theme in their engagement with Africa that, you know, kind of we've both suffered under the West. And rightly, they did. <laughs> they both did. Um, they did. And, and that's, a, and the, that's a, just on, to pick up on that very quickly. That's not a gratuitous theme that they're playing just in Africa. China really defines so much of its current policy as a way to regain its dignity from what it says was the century of humiliation, not just at the hands of the Europeans who colonized parts of China, but also the Japanese as well. So there's a big chip on the Chinese shoulder about what happened during its period of occupation by foreign powers. I mean, that's not disingenuous at all. Yeah. And the thing is, I think, I don't think the West really gets how profound that narrative is. I don't think the West really realizes how long memories are, both in China and in Africa. I had this very revealing moment with, I'm not going to say from where, because, you know, like with a Western, a European kind of think tanker, who asked me, do I think that China will be able to play this kind of post-colonial card with Africa, you know, forever? Do you think that's going to fall away? And I had to be the horrible person to to remind him, post-colonialism doesn't go away. Like, you don't wake up suddenly and you haven't been colonized. If you've been colonized, you've always been colonized. It's always going to be part of your identity. And, you know, it's like, just because the West has forgotten about that era doesn't mean the people who suffered under the West did, you know, that story is strong. And it is very interesting that when you look at the Chinese response to the African Union bugging scandal, in that response, they didn't take the charges of the servers or the data transfer of all of the specific charges that were made by Le Monde. They didn't engage with those charges at all. They just ignored them. And instead, they just said... The West is, you know, the West is jealous of China's successes in Africa. The West wants Africa to remain underdeveloped forever. The West is essentially a kind of a conspiracy power who's interested in undermining the China-Africa relationship for its own gain, for for neo-colonial Africa, to control Africa in a neo-colonial way. And that's the story they stuck to all the way through. And it, and it worked as a media strategy. Um, and, you know, and I think that it's because that story has a lot of resonance in Africa. Yeah, so, I mean, there's something very, very profound that's happening here. I can't put my finger exactly on what it is. It's not just Lin Songtian. There's also another diplomat that I think people should keep an eye on. His name is Zhong Jianhua, Z-H-O-N-G-J-I-A-N-H-U-A, for those of you who are uh, following at home and want to Google him. He, too, is another very charismatic diplomat in uh, Chinese diplomat in Africa. He's done a lot of the mediation in South Sudan. He is quite active in the media and on the speaking circuit as well. So he's quite visible. And it reflects, again, these diplomats are reflecting, in my view, a much more robust Chinese foreign policy under Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping has a worldview that is very, very different. And possibly what we're seeing is just as the Belt and Road global trade agenda starts to make its way around the world, we're at $250, $300 billion of investment right now, The Chinese say they'll get to a trillion dollars. Even if they don't get to a trillion and they just do half a trillion, it's going to be a massive, massive program. And maybe these are all tied together. We don't really know. They're dots on a graph. 
But something is happening here. Cobus has been studying for a long time the media perceptions. Living here in China, we see it as well. I see it. And there is a discernible change. Let me ask you one final question here. How do we connect this more aggressive, more robust media presence that we've talked about and we've noticed with movies like Wolf Warrior 2, which also is a in-your-face Rambo style, we're not taking crap from anybody anymore, particularly in Africa. Are there any connections between these two? Is this or is that just maybe correlation, not necessarily causation? So it's such a difficult thing to, one needs to be so careful because, you know, they don't come from the same place. Obviously, Wolf Warrior was a commercial text made for commercial markets. Um, the, it wasn't government speech. However, it was also in a weird way, not not government speech, you know, like the final frame of Wolf Warrior 2, which, you know, which is essentially this kind of like text on screen, which I'm now butchering. I can't remember the exact the exact wording, but it comes down to kind of the enemies of China will be pursued far beyond China's borders. I mean, that is a movie speaking, but that movie is starting to move in the direction of officially approved speech, you know? So it's a complicated thing, you know, in terms of media studies, it's a complicated thing to unpack. But I think they, they both share a new level of assertiveness, you know, kind of a like, you're not kind of mistaken about what Wolf Warrior 2 means in the same way that you're not mistaken about what Lin Songjian is saying. You know, I forget the Chinese leader who said that, um, you know, kind of hide your capabilities and bide your time. I don't know, you know, kind of the, from, from the early 80s. But, uh, you know, that era has passed. You know, kind of, there's a lot of being very clear about what you feel and what you mean. There's not a lot of ambiguity in those messages. So I think in that sense, mm. there, there is an overlap. And there's certainly no ambiguity. We've got a great discussion going on on this very topic over on my LinkedIn page. You can look me up at Eric Olander on LinkedIn. And right now there's oh, somewhere around 35,000 views and dozens of comments on it. Let me read one comment from our old friend in Beijing, Hannah Ryder, who's the CEO of Development Reimagine. She said in response to a Lin Songtian quote, yes, I agree there is a discernible change. And in my view, it is helpful to be more open, whether it will work to be so aggressive and so them versus us is another question. Again, in my opinion, it would be even better to provide more simple messages backed by real data and information rather than broad statements. This is still sorely missing. So if you'd like to join that conversation, head over to our LinkedIn page and join the many, many comments there on this. We'd like to hear what you think about this. Have you noticed a change in how the Chinese are communicating and responding to critics from the French media or the United States? And do you think it's a good thing or is this just a more robust version of Chinese propaganda that is covering up what are legitimate criticisms? I mean, Kobus, I think Rex Tillerson, his point about worrying about a debt crisis in Africa is an absolutely legitimate point. I think I responded the same way that Lin Songtian responded, which is, is the United States the best messenger for that warning? Only because the United States borrows $1.2 trillion from the Chinese and not really sure they're in the best position to really preach to anybody about borrowing too much money. Yeah, and as Deborah Brautigan pointed out in a blog post on The Hill today, I think, is that, you know, it's fine for the U.S. to be worried about debt in Africa, but it's not like they're really offering a, an alternative. You know, they're not offering a different kind of financing, really. They're not, it's not like they're throwing, you know, kind of handfuls of money out of a plane or something, you know, they're, they're not giving big grants or something that Africa should be using instead. It simply becomes a situation of, oh, we're worried about the debt, but we're not really addressing the big lack of infrastructure, which is causing the debt to begin with. 
you know, so it's like, it's, it's of limited help. Well, we're not going to talk too much about Rex Tillerson and his comments today, only because we're going to use this as a theme in some upcoming shows. We've got some fantastic guests lined up. Uh, Joshua Eisenman from the University of Texas is going to join us. He's written a couple books with David Shin, the former U.S. ambassador to Burkina Faso and in, in Ethiopia. Uh, he's going to talk about kind of the current state of Sino-African-U.S. relations. And we're also very eager to have Howard French back on the show again. And we're going to talk about his new book that talks about the mandate of heaven. He's doing a China book this time. Many of you know Howard French from his China-Africa reporting in his China-Africa book, China's New Continent. So we're going to have him back to talk about these things. So a lot of exciting shows that we've got coming up. Of course, the conversation with us always continues online in all of our various social media channels that we've got going on. I'd like to really kind of extend a warm welcome to all of our listeners on YouTube. We're really going up very quickly in our subscribers and comments, and the audience has grown tremendously on YouTube. And so we just want to welcome everybody who's listening to us and joining us on YouTube and our YouTube channel. You can find us there at youtube.com slash China Africa Project. For Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China in Africa email newsletter by going to www dot dot com.